layout here, right? And I had a little wheel, and we were talking about how God's hand shapes and molds us. You remember that, for those of you who were here last week? For, for, for those of you who were here last week and you don't remember, just play along, all right? Just do like you do with your kids and go, well, yeah, of course, I know exactly what you're talking about, right? I have no idea, all right? So anyway, while I was in the second service and I was out greeting folks as they were leaving, the hand of God or some ornery person in my church decided to mold me. And there I am. So I'm not sure whether I should excommunicate him or give him an A for his artwork, right? So I guess I'm a rabbit. I won't say who it is, Mark, but I'll keep it quiet. That's just between us. All right. So anyway, that was cute. Thank you. I appreciate your sense of humor. And uh, so I spent most of the week in therapy crying, right? My wife was alongside of me saying, honey, it's okay, it's all right, you'll get through it. So anyway, you know I take myself way too serious, right? Right. All right, open up your programs, let's get into today's lesson. I thought that today as we look at traits to have, as we look at be the message, um, I thought an appropriate one would be Paul's life, Um, Paul who was a persecutor of the church, later came to Christ and became one of the key leaders in the New Testament church, wrote about two-thirds-ish of the New Testament uh, Bible that we read, and so God used him him in some uh, incredible and amazing ways. But as he writes in 2 Corinthians, um, the church uh, at large was doing quite well, but outside of that, there was a group of people who were legalistic people. Now, we probably all know some of those folks who are, who are legalistic, and they were trying to discredit Paul. They wanted to undermine his leadership. They wanted to prove to the church that Paul wasn't authentic. He wasn't real. There was no way that God could use him. And so they began to attack him and talked about his appearance because he was apparently just a common-looking guy. He wasn't incredibly uh, handsome, so I have a hard time relating to Paul, but um, he, he apparently wasn't real good at his, his speaking skills. He wasn't a polished speaker. Um, he kind of probably hum, him, hawed, um, mm, um, mm, kind of around kind of thing. And, and so they began to attack him to discredit him, to somehow make him, marginalize him, push him aside and say, well, Paul isn't really the real deal. And what Paul did was kind of an interesting thing. Instead of resisting his weakness... Instead of resisting, saying, what do you mean? I'm handsome, I'm good looking, I'm smart, I'm, I can speak well. He embraced it. And he took his weaknesses and he used them as proof that God was working in and through his life. And here's what I want to throw out to you as we get ready to start today. I think oftentimes as believers, we oftentimes believe that God could work through you but I'm not so sure that he could work through me. Because, after all, and this will be true of myself, how could God work through someone who's dyslexic? How could God work through someone who spends the majority of his time reading and studying, and yet he has a short circuit between his brain and sounds of words? How could God do that? How is it possible that God could work through a person who doesn't like to speak in front of people, 
fact, not even a, pers- a people person to begin with. How could God do that? How could God work through a person where occasionally it's not as bad as it used to be, where I would stand off in the side and have absolute panic attacks that my time was coming out to speak? How is it possible? See, God could work through you, but it's impossible for God to work through me. And then if we take it a step further, hey, I wasn't raised in the church. I came to Christ in 88. I have all kinds of issues and skeletons and all kinds of stuff in my closets that that I hope never surface and no one ever mentions. How could God use somebody who has issues like that? See, God can work through you, but it's impossible for God to work through me because I have weaknesses, I, I have failures in my life, I have skeletons in my life. I got all kinds of things in my life. And so it's impossible. And what Paul did, which was absolutely brilliant, is he embraced that. And he said, you know what? I'm not going to run from my weakness. I'm not going to hide from my failures. I'm not going to act as if everything is perfect. I'm going to embrace it. In fact, I'm going to use it to prove the point that God can work through failures weaknesses, and messed up lives to create a message for the world to hear. And see, as we sit here today, see, we, we, we say the same thing that Pastor Dan just said. You know, God can work through someone else. God can work through Valerie. God can work through somebody who went on a mission trip. But me, you know, I'm not so sure that God could work through me. See, and we need to embrace that in our life. And so what Paul did, which was, I think, We'll, work, we'll walk through the steps in which he, he takes it, turns it back on them to prove his point and to embrace his weaknesses. And, and in this lesson, there are five traits that Paul embraces that really we need to embrace in our life as well. So if you have your programs, go ahead and open it up. You have a bulletin, uh, uh, an outline rather, to follow. At the very top of your outline, this is what Paul says about himself. He says, for I am the least of the apostles and do not even des- uh, deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. You know, so he, he kind of throws it out right on the top end. He's like, hey, I, I wasn't the greatest person in the whole wide world of the church and I'm just going to throw it out. You think through scripture. If you bought that little book or you're in a community group, you would have you uh, heard some of this. Abraham was the father of the faithful and he pretended that his wife Sarah was his sister two times. And yet he was a a man of faith, right? You have Moses, which we'll look at next week. Uh, Moses delivered the children out of of Israel. And yet he admitted that he was not a polished speaker. And we'll see that next week. David was a man after God's own heart. He He committed adultery and murder. So if you've done either of those, God can still use you. And I don't mean to make that flippant or make it light. I just mean to to point it out. Uh, Elijah uh, confronted the false gods. Uh, with fear, and, I mean, with boldness, and later doubted God and ran from his, for his life. Isaiah claimed that he was a man of unclean lips. John, if you're reading through the Gospel of John, which we've been working through this whole month, John uh, was opposed to a group of people because they weren't part of his group. And he wanted them to go somewhere else and do something different. So let's take a look. Five traits that Paul lays out. The very first one, number one in your outline, is humility. Humility, and you could just put a little asterisk on the side of it because I really think that this is where it drives from humility. And right below it, it says this: When I embrace my weaknesses and my limitations, I become usable. 
And as long as you're filled with pride, God resists the, pride, the proud, right? But he gives grace to the humble, and God uses those who are humble. Let's take a look. 2 Corinthians, if you have your Bibles, verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 6 and following, here's what it says. For God, who said, let light shine out uh, of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Verse 7, but, circle the word but, because here is a contrast. Verse 6 says, it's, it's God's glory being revealed, right? And then verse 7 starts out and he says, but we have treasure in jars of clay to show this all-surpassing power is from who? And not from us, right? So here, here's what Paul says. Pa- Paul says this treasure, you know, what is the treasure that he's referring to? He's referring to the gospel. The gospel is living in us. We've learned that through the whole series. The gospel is living in us. And look with me in your outline. The gospel message uh, reveals the most profound truth the world has ever known, which produces the most powerful eternal effects. Through the gospel, people are freed from the power of sin and death. Any amens to that? Release from condemnation. Any amens to that? Transferred, uh, transformed into the image of Christ and given eternal joy, peace, and satisfaction. Any amens to that? That is in you, believers. And that's Paul's point. That is the treasure that is in you. And then he does something incredibly creative. He says that that treasure is in jars of clay, right? Just a, just a jar of clay, an everyday jar that they would have. If it were in our life, we would say it is in one of those uh, reusable Tupperware, right, freebies that you get, that you have in your, in your pantry. Anybody? Right? And someone says, well, why are we keeping that? Like a butter dish? Right? Why are we keeping that? And you say, because we could use it. And you're like, yeah, but can't we like buy some? I mean, can't they be like color coordinated? I mean, why does it have to say margarine on the side of it? You know, I feel embarrassed bringing it to my friend's house. Like, here's the soup my mom made. Oh, that's nice, right? So, so in our world, that's what he would say. Because the jars of clay were common. Everybody would have them. And you would put everything from valuables. Remember where Jesus says, if you have your, hidden, if you have your uh, talents, you bury them. You bury them in jars of clay. The, the Dead Sea Scrolls buried in jars of clay in, 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 the, in the caves, right? But also, it was used for garbage. They didn't have garbage cans. And they didn't have toilets. So guess what, what the bedpan was? When you woke up at 2 in the morning, this is it. This is what you would use. The jar had no value. What was valuable was what was in it. And, and, and Paul says, all these guys are criticizing me. You don't look good. You can't speak. You're not this. You're not that. And he says, you know what? I'm a, I'm a common jar of clay. But what's in me is the gospel. And what's in me can change a person's perspective, a person's worldview, 
a person's life. That's what's in me. And, and so he embraces his weakness and points out the fact that he is a common person. Because remember, the religious leaders compared themselves to themselves. I mean, that's how arrogant they were. They would stand in front of the mirror and say, I'm the best looking guy in the room. Right? Now, granted, they were the only guy in the room, but nonetheless, they were the best looking. And so they were filled with themselves. And so Paul does kind of a backdoor way of basically saying, listen, if you want God to use you, you've got to embrace your weaknesses and you've got to embrace your limitations. And he goes on in in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 5. He says, but I do not think that I am at least... uh, I am in least uh, inferior to the super apostles. That's the ones that were chosen, right? Verse 6, I may not be a trained speaker. You know, in those days, they elevated the the folks who would speak. And if you were a polished speaker, I mean, you know, that was great. The Greek mindset, that was wonderful. Paul says, you know what? I, I probably hubba, 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 hubba and stumble around. But God still has his knowledge. And he goes on, he says, but I do have knowledge. And the knowledge that he's referring to is he's talking about having Christ in him. And knowledge is when we understand who Christ is. That knowledge is in me. The gospel message is in me. And so even though I may not be able to speak well, God is still in me working through my life. Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, very famous verse. Paul prays for the thorn in the flesh to be removed. And God comes back to him and he says, you know what? My grace is sufficient for you. And he goes on and he says, for my, uh, for my power is made perfect in your perfection, Paul. What's it say? Weakness, right? He says, he, he says, God's power is made perfect in my weakness, embracing that I am just a common jar. God's power is made perfect. Therefore, I boast all the more gladly about my perfection weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me verse 10 that is why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses in insults in hardship in persecution in difficulties well why Paul why would you do that it sounds like you need to go someplace and have someone spend some time with you on a couch and he says this for when I am weak then I am strong, right? And so he embraces the idea that he has limitations, that he has flaws in his life, that he is just a common jar. And what makes him valuable and usable is what's in him. And that's what makes him valuable. And the humility is the start of it. See, see, oftentimes you get believers, oh, I can't do that. Well, why can't you do that? Oh, well, you know, I'm just not into... Fill in the blank. Well, you know what Paul would say? Really? Just to let you know, there's no job that is beneath you. You want to know why? Because there was a man who hung on a cross for you. Right? So there is no job where you can say, I don't want to do that. I mean, I've had pastors (laughs) say to me, I don't mow lawns at church. That's for my people to do. It's like, oh, should we all bow down and worship you? Just let you know how it works here. There is no job that any staff member will ever tell me 
that it is beneath them because the first time they say that, they will be run out of Dodge in a heartbeat because we never ask the people to do anything that us leaders are not willing to do. Right? That is a picture of servant leadership. And as believers, that is the same for all of us. There should be no job in the kingdom of God that is beneath us. Because you want to know why? Paul says, <laughs> because this is you. And you know what makes you valuable? Not you, but what's in you, the gospel. Number two, the second thing is invincibility. Invincibility, and that is when I never give up despite pressures that I'm going through. Look what he says in verse 8. He says, when hardship, uh, when hardship uh, presses on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, verse 9, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. So let's go back and take a look at it. When you think of Paul's life, I mean, this would have been a guy that if you had a choice back in those days to say, hey, you want to hang out with Paul? Your first reaction would be, no, I think I'm good, right? Because the problems that that guy went through you wouldn't want to be on the same boat, the same car, the same donkey, the same team as that guy. I mean, he had gone through hardship, depression. He was beaten. He was in a ship. He was on, uh, treading water. He was in prison. I mean, he was, he was <laughs> the ideal candidate of saying, hey, Paul, I'll pray for you, brother. I'm going to stay here at camp. I'll pray for you. Let me know how it goes, right? But in the midst of all the pressure... Paul kept pushing forward. He kept moving forward. And so let's go break through this. He says, um, he said he was hard pressed. That means to be physically or spiritually pressed on every side. All right. That's that's the 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 culture. That's the enemy. That's the dumb mistakes you've made. That's everything just kind of coming in on you. He was pressed on every side, but not crushed. He was perplexed. And that's a play on words. We would, say, we would say, I'm at my wit's end, right? That, that's what that would mean. He was at his wit's end, but he didn't lose. It would be a Yogi Berra verse, right? It ain't over till it's over. That would be a Yogi Berra verse that he would use. And, and so he was at wit's end. He was ready to throw in his towel. In fact, he threw in his towel, but he didn't lose. He hung in there. <clears throat> verse 9, he was persecuted. That means hunted down. He was hunted down, but not abandoned. Why? Because the Lord never leaves us nor forsakes us. Right? What a great truth to hold on to in your life. I was, he was struck down. And that literally, it's, a, it's kind of a boxing term. It means to be hit, knocked down, but not knocked down. You know, in modern days, we would say he would get a standing eight count. He would get up and the ref would count him eight, look in his eyes and go, you know what day it is? He says, yeah, it's Thursday. Not good, go fight, right? And off he would go. And so he, he had this ability in him that regardless of what came at him, he kept push, pushing forward in his life. Now let's hit, hit the pause button on this. You know how many times that we as believers get a little bit of headwind in our life? I can't do it. Oh, I can't. Oh, I'm a, oh. You know, and you start reeling off all kinds of things that are going on in your life. Do you have that ability to keep pressing forward for the kingdom? 
If you don't think that opposition is going to come against you, if you don't think the culture is going to come against you, Jesus said, here's a promise, hold on to it. I had trouble, you'll have trouble. They persecuted me, they'll persecute you. Right? Hold on to that. And in our life, if we're going to be the message and we're going to be used, then there's going to be opposition against us and we need to keep pressing forward. Number three is self, uh, uh, selflessness. Selflessness. And that is, when I demi- uh, deny myself of my desires, so Jesus' life, uh, light rather will shine through me. When I de- deny myself of my desires, so that Jesus' light will shine through me. Look what he says in verse 10. <clears throat> we always carry around in our bodies uh, the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our bodies. Verse 11. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for whose sake? For Jesus' sake. For what reason? So that his life may be revealed in our mortal bodies. The reason why we deny ourselves, the reason why we deny ourselves is so that the light of Christ and the life of Christ will be revealed through us. Remember, Paul is talking to people who is all about them. And so he comes out and he says, hey, let me just tell you, I'm not a valuable person. What makes me valuable is what's in me. And even though you press and even though you hunt and even though you chase and even though the enemy wants to kill me, I'm going to keep moving forward. I'm going to move forward. And when I have a choice of doing it my way at Burger King or have it Jesus' way, I'm going to choose Jesus' way every single time. Even though the culture says, hey, have it your way. Do as you please. Do what satisfies you. Paul says, no, no, no. I'm, going to, I'm not going to do that because I'm going to choose his way. For what reason? So that his light will shine through me. So that the world would see the gospel in me. And so we have to come to a point in our life where we have to ask ourselves that question. Are we denying ourselves? Paul would say this in Galatians 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. In other words, my wishes, my wants, my desires no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. You want to know why we deny ourselves? Because we had a man who hung on a cross for us. Right? And it's no longer your life. You were purchased with the blood of Christ. We are his servants. And when it comes to my way or Jesus' way, Paul says, if you want to be used by him, you need to select his way. Because if you choose your way, then your pride is going to get in the way. And what happens is, as we looked at last week, When we resist God, he's going to take our lump of clay, he's going to smash us down, and he's going to remold us. And that's never a fun experience when you get smashed down, is it? And he will remold us and remake us. Number four is faithfulness. Faithfulness. It's when I have convictions that start in my head, go to my heart, and are revealed through my hands, okay? Faithfulness. Now, we use, a core value we use is spiritual growth. And the the way that we describe spiritual growth here 
is that it's a belief that starts in your head that translates into a conviction in your heart that ultimately reveal itself in your hands, in action, right? A lot of people have beliefs, right? A lot of people have beliefs in their life. And, and, and if you believe something, you, you know, oh, I believe this. There's lots of things that we believe. In fact, we believe in brushing our teeth three times a day and flossing twice. Just play along with me. We believe in eating fruits and vegetables and not donuts. We believe in exercising at least an hour a day. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm not. No, I don't believe that at all. <laughs> right? So, so we believe a lot of things. We believe that we should read our Bible. We believe that we should be praying. We believe that we should be serving. In fact, in this church, if you're a member, you are required to be a part of a service team and serving God. We believe that the scripture teaches that everything belongs to the kingdom of God and therefore we are just stewards of it and whether it's our resources, our time, it all belongs to him and we need to give it to him. There's lots of things that we believe, but we don't do. You want to know why? Because it just stays up here. It never translates into the heart, which is conviction. And it will never reveal itself in your hands until it becomes a conviction that holds you, right? We believe a lot of things, but they're not convictions in our life. Now look with, look with me what Paul says, verse 13. He says, it is written, I believe. Now, right underneath that, just draw a line and write the word head, H-E-A-D. Then he says, therefore, circle that, Right underneath that, right heart, conviction. I have spoken, right hands underneath that, or action. So Paul's faithfulness wasn't just a belief that he had. He believed it, therefore it became a conviction in his heart. And because it became a conviction in his heart, I have spoken. It became an action in his life that he lived out. With the same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Now let's just hit the pause button. If you sit here today, and I, you know I love you guys, if you don't serve, I'll tell you why you don't serve. Because you're not convicted and convinced that you should. If you sit here today and you don't give, it's not that you don't believe it. You've heard perhaps many, many messages. You're not, you're not convinced or convicted in your heart that that is a truth that is revealed in Scripture and you're living it out in your life. You just believe it. And you can take that in every area of your life. You believe making your family a priority is something that you need to have. There's lots of people, and let's just all raise our hands on this, that believe it, but it's not a conviction in their life because they're not prioritizing it in their calendar. Therefore, it's not an action in their life. 
right? And so when Paul looks at his walk, he says, hey, I believe it. And it, it's not just I believe. I'm convinced. I'm convicted. It's a core value in my life. Therefore, I speak. And in your life, if you want to know where you're at in your spiritual journey, you just have to ask yourself that. It's not what you believe. It's what you're doing in your life. Right? We believe a ton of things. But if we're not doing it in our life, then it's not a core value in our life. We have a guy in our church who left. He, he moved to, to over into the valley. And this is, this is the truth. Nearly every Saturday... He drives because he hasn't found a church home there yet. He drives here. And he works in cash only. <laughs> right? And he'll meet me here on a Saturday and he, to give his tithe to the church, even though he doesn't attend here. And yesterday we were talking, and he said, you know, I believe, Dan, that it's a I have a conviction in my heart that God never lets me down when I'm faithful with what I give. And he says, Pastor Dan, I just want you to know, I don't give on my net. I don't know if that's wrong or right. I give on everything I get. And I'll tell you that God has never let me down. And I looked at him and I said, you get it. In which I'm proud. Not, not because it's a money issue. You know, th this isn't an issue about the, the, the money. Th this is an issue about he's blessed. He's blessed. He gets it. It's a conviction, a core value that he has in our life. And you can take this idea of the head, the heart, and the hands, and you can take it in your spiritual life, you can take it in your personal life, you can take it in your, your core values in your works life, in, in your profession. If you're a leader of people, you can take it, secularize it, because it's the same thing. There, there's lots of companies that believe they got their value statement and their purpose statement. They got pictures and all this other stuff. They're not doing any of it. They're not doing it because it's not a conviction, a core value. They claim it. That's it. It's simply a belief that they have in their life. Number five is hopefulness. Hopefulness. When I am confident that there is something more than this life. When there is something more than this life. Look in verse 14. He goes on and he says, Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise who? Us. With Jesus and present us with you in his presence. You know, Paul says, he says, listen, to, to the legalistic people, this is my life. I, I really have no value. What makes, me, what, make, what makes me amazing is what's in me. The gospel's in me. And I'm going to live a humble life. I'm going to embrace my weaknesses. I'm going to embrace my failures. I'm not going to hide. I'm just going to be who I am. And even if you press on me, and even at the end of the day, if I ultimately die in your hands, I just want you to know that I don't live my life for what's on this earth. I live my life for what's in eternity. And you can take me out of here and the same power that raised Christ from the dead and the same God that raised him from the dead will one day raise me. And my life is more than just the surroundings 
that we're currently seeing. It's something that's far greater than that. So why? Why should we have all the traits that Paul has talked about? Why the humility? Why the, 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 the attitude of not giving up and the, and the selflessness and the faithfulness and the hopefulness? What, why should we do it? Verse 15. For this is for your benefit. Paul says, it's not even for me. It's not for me. Pause. You being the message, you having a humble heart, you moving forward even though you're being pressed, you having that faithful attitude, you just keep on keeping on and being the message for the world. You know what? Listen, it isn't for you. It's not for your benefit. It's for our benefit. It's for our benefit. If you don't use and embrace your weaknesses and your limitations and your failures and the messes that you have in your life, if you don't use it, you know who gets cheated? We get cheated. We get cheated. Because God works through our weaknesses to create a beautiful message for all of us to benefit from. And it goes on. And it says, all this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching, what? More and people, right? Pause. Why are we being used? Why are we using uh, uh, our, the traits and our embracing all that? For the benefit of us so that we will reach more and more people with what? With the message that's in us, the treasure that's in us, that has set, and I don't know, I can't speak for you, but that has set me free from the bondage of sin, who set me free from the love of myself and the love of money, who set me free from my past and my issues that I wrestle with, who set me free. That treasure is in me. And the world desperately needs to hear that good news. For, from all of us. And so that more and more may experience His grace. And what happens when more and more experience His grace? We gather back together as the church, as the body, the ecclesia, and what do we do? It causes us to, to give thanksgiving to God that pours out to the glory of God. Okay? Now let me just give you this visual. We come here as a church to be encouraged, to be challenged, to be pressed, to be convicted, to, to, to be enlightened, to leave here, to go into our world, into our mission field, to be the good news, our broken pots, because the, that's what's in us, the good news of Jesus Christ. We go out and we minister to and we share and we love and we speak into the lives of people. And then we gather back together on Sunday to share stories, to be encouraged, to hear what God is doing in and through our lives. And you know what that makes us do? That makes us sing praises to God louder and louder. You want to know what lights a church on fire? Not a match. That probably is part of it. But you want to know what lights a church on fire? Hearing stories of what God is doing in and through your life. You, you cannot 
fake that. When God is working in and through your life and you're sharing with people and you're ministering to people and you're meeting the needs of people and God is working mightily in and through your life through the body of Christ, I tell you, there will be nothing more exciting than coming on a Sunday and the praise level, the attitude, the hearts, the minds. I mean, we are like on fire. God's doing something great in our life. And you can't make that up. And Paul, and Paul says, Paul says that, when we, that when we embrace it and get this visual before we leave, you're just a common pot. That's it. You're nothing. You, your mama may have told you you're the smartest kid in the room. You're the only kid in the room. That's why she told you that. Okay? You're a crackpot. You are. I am. And what makes us valuable is not who we are. What makes us valuable is whose we are and who is in us. If you try to prop yourself up with self-esteem, the world will cut your knees off. If you realize that you're someone because a man hung on a cross for your screwed up life, and your value is in him. And your broken pot, you're a broken pot. And what's in you is what makes you valuable. And God wants you to embrace your weaknesses, your limitations, your failures. He wants to take your messed up life and make it a message. And to me, if you, you know, people question, well, is the Bible true and all this other stuff? If it was written by egotistical maniacs, the message would be completely different. It wouldn't be, hey, we're a bunch of failures. We got all kinds of problems in our life and God's amazing grace still works in and through our life. You would say, I'm the most faithful. I'm the smartest. I was the best looking. Everyone bowed down wherever I walked. I never made a mistake. I walked on water, all this other stuff. But all the writers are like, we're flawed. We're failures. We screwed up. We messed up. My life is all jacked up. But let me just tell you, I'm a common clay pot that God works in and through my life. Embrace that. Embrace that. Because that's how he wants to reach a world for his kingdom. Let's pray.